Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. We have our Texas Tadroon colleagues here. We may not get to all your questions. Just a warning. So be brief, and we'll get to more of them. Uh, I'm Megan Moore, and my question is really quick, actually, and surprisingly, it's for the Texas Tribune and not for GapFest, which I listen to y'all and not them, sorry. Um, But y'all talked about a campaign of Wendy Davis and uh, Greg Abbott, but I haven't seen either of them, and so I was wondering, where are they campaigning and what are they doing to actually campaign that y'all are talking about? Well, you can see them around the state, and and if you watch their websites, you can see where they're going to be. You can watch the Texas Tribune and see live streams and things of of their speeches and stuff. It'll accelerate as they get to September, October, November, but they're out there. So right now you have to be actively interested. (laughs) Right. Well, and right now now both of the campaigns are in what we we sometimes call the finance primary. Right now they're about raising the money they're going to want to do all the advertising that they're going to do to you in October and November. Greg Abbott already has $30 million, clearly not enough. Wendy Davis has about $12 million, clearly not enough. So the siege is coming. There is a man in a panda mask who seems like he's about to ask us a question. My question is actually for Emily Bazelon. We're having a little trouble, unfortunately, hearing your question. We're sorry. Thank my, you. My question is for Emily Bazelon. Um, Given the media's recent uptake of the stories of people living in states who are dying um, because they live in states that did not accept the Medicaid expansions, at any point, um, whereas had they lived in a state that had accepted, had accepted the Medicaid expansion, they would be able to uh, have received treatment to prevent their disease, at any point in the future, will they have standing in, court, in the court of law to be able to make the case that they're being discriminated against simply because of the state that they choose to live in? That's such a great idea, but I don't think it's going to work, legally speaking, because there is no right to be treated equally depending on what state you live in. We allow for lots of legal differences between states, but I do think that those stories are going to move the tide inexorably towards states quietly, gradually taking the Medicaid money. And the fact that they were allowed to decide not to is a real disservice that the Supreme Court did to, um, did to people who live in those states by a quite lopsided vote of 7 to 2. Can't blame the conservatives on the court for that one. Thank you. And, and David, would, would you like to have a beer at some point? <laughs> I think he'd prefer to have a cuddle. I love some, <laughs> some bamboo. Hi, I'm a longtime listener, so I know that all of you have fine left brains, but I'd like to direct a question to your gutto meters. Are we stuck with Republicans controlling at least one of the houses of Congress until January of 2023? When will be the first time that a, after redistricting? Yeah. Yes. 
I mean, you can imagine. The state house. Well, you can imagine. Okay, so say a Republican, the sort of standard pattern we're used to. So, to your question, a Republican wins the presidency in 2016. Then, as has been kind of the case normally uh, or historically, the country gets fed up with that president pretty quickly and then takes it out on his Republican compatriots in the, in the House and Senate. The problem is in the House, it's hard to take it out on anybody. There aren't any districts anymore. I mean, they're such a small handful. So you could create that scenario, but then you'd have to look at the number of districts you'd need to flip. And there aren't, that, and there aren't enough flippable districts probably by the time we get there. Because, yeah. So, yeah, your, your original scenario is probably true. Thank you so much for coming to Texas and doing a live gab fest under a peca- under a pecan tree for crying. Yeah. Hey guys, I uh, I was wondering if you might discuss uh, counterfactual of uh, what the landscape would look like right now had Romney been elected instead of Obama. I'm I'm specifically curious as if someone like Romney, who is essentially a pretty moderate governor of Massachusetts might have been able to make some more headway in areas like immigration, tax reform, might have been able to get some of those people on the right on board. And then secondly, do you think there are any potential Republican candidates who might be able to get through that primary and then pivot and maybe push forward some progress, kind of like LBJ as being a conservative in in his early political career and then turning around and getting through some civil rights legislation? That is such a great counterfactual. I, I don't think he would have done immigration first, which he would have had to... You know, you, don't, you, you have a shorter and shorter period of time where you can actually do anything before it all falls to hell as a president now. He would have done taxes and spending first. So his chance on immigration, he probably wouldn't, he wouldn't have done that first. So then, could he have gotten it through? What would it be? It would be tax reform? Yeah, but... Oof. Tax reform would be really, really, really hard. Because... The reason nobody ever gets specific about tax reform is when you get specific about tax reform, you lose all the supporters for it. And that wouldn't have changed whether it was Romney or Obama. I mean, that's... So we saw that in the effort by Dave Camp, the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, to put forward an actual... A Republican, to put forward an actual tax reform bill that Mitt Romney probably would have liked, mostly, in most of its parts. And so then it's a question, did he want to start his presidency with a huge fight with his own party? John, I would say the the weird thing about Romney is that he didn't really... There was nothing he really campaigned on. There were no big issues. Right, he wasn't coming in with a crusade, so I don't, it's hard to see him coming in to have done anything. He right, didn't campaign his, to do anything. He but would've, he, they would have tried, they would have not implemented Obamacare. They would have rolled that back. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Although, yeah, I guess that is, that is what he said his first thing would be. So he would have had to keep with that promise, which would have been, a, he would have launched his presidency with a huge, bloody, ugly fight in which after about 10 minutes, everybody would say you're doing the same thing Obama did, which is not facing the real issue, which is the economy, but having a big, ugly fight over health care. But Putin would not have taken over the Crimea because Romney understood what a threat Russia was. We're going to just, sorry, we're going to do four more questions. I'm sorry to you folks further back. So as a Texas teacher, to my knowledge, the number one measure of student achievement is a number of years that a teacher spends in the classroom. Teaching should be a job that people want to have and a job that people want to keep. So the benefit to Common Core, to my knowledge, would be, or from my perspective, would be simplifying the process. Give me a set of standards, I will learn them, I will teach them well, I will do that for many years. Should I choose to relocate, I don't have to learn the system all over again. Do you see any traction to that with the Common Core being similar? 
I mean, that seems like a potential benefit. I'm not confident about the being able to relocate and feel like you won't have to learn a whole, because every state will have its own curriculum. But um, I mean, to me, the really important thing about the point you make is that if I was going to change one thing, it would be to make teaching the valued profession it should be based on the way we pay teachers and the way we value educators. And that's, you know, David brought up indirectly Amanda Ripley's book, um, which is called what? Smartest, Smartest Kids, Kids in the world. world. And, you know, the real lesson is that the countries that really make teaching a profession that people feel great about going in and staying in, they're the ones where kids are the best off. I, long-time listener, first-time live political gabfest attendee, question asker. Um, and uh, this question is for the, uh, the, our visitors. And um, when I moved to Austin a couple of years ago, um, I found that my perception of Austin um, didn't really match up with what I found here. Austin is great, don't get me wrong, but uh, it wasn't what I thought it would be. And I'm just curious to know what your perceptions are and uh, whether or not you think those match up with uh, the city that is Austin. Thanks. Well, it seems to be people come and listen to you talk. You drink a lot of beer. You have a really good lunch. The weather's The weather's nice. beautiful, so and you don't better. do any work. So that seems pretty great to me. Torchies. So one of the big talking points of the last presidential campaign was the unemployment rate and how important it was for it to come down for Obama to have a chance to be elected. Since it has come down at least a little bit, I was wondering if you thought that had anything to do with any of Obama's policies, or, um, and if it does, why is he not playing up, that up more? Because he hasn't had as much luck as Rick Perry in Texas. And I mean, I mean, I think it's that while the unemployment rate is down, it's not down a huge amount, and employment is not up. Right. So unemployment rate is down, but there are still fewer people, well, not, I think not technically fewer, but relatively fewer people working. The, the most disheartening statistic in the world is labor force participation rates for adults, and it's dropped from, I think, about 68% to 64%. And that's terrible news. It's terrible for every, all of us in every possible way. And I think Obama knows that. And more to point, people feel that. And yeah, and all the people—the only people who benefit are rich. The only people who are feeling richer are actual rich people. Everyone else is suffering. Thank you. That was a downer. Let's not end on that one. Uh, going back to the Common Core, it was touched on very briefly, but what happens to the race to the top with Common Core? And kind of a second part to that: uh, No Child Left Behind was just reauthorized by the House in 2013. Does no- Common Core adopt a familiar name and become sexy all of a sudden and get rolled into No Child Left Behind? I don't think that would be the solution. No, uh, I think race to the top uh, will will stay because race to the top is kind of um, it allows a lot of uh, enough flexibility. I know there are a lot of people who hate race to the top too, but it still allows flexibility. You don't have to have this is right, isn't it? You don't have to have your your court, common core standards be the standards you choose to be part of race to the top. Right. You can still apply for race to the top money. It's but if you have common core, that gives you some kind of automatic eligibility. But to the extent that there are some states have or have chosen common core to be their standard, that taints race to the top. Yeah. Two very brief final things. One, on behalf of John and Emily, I just want to thank Reeve and Emily and Ross for being such great guests and collaborators on this. 
and urge you to su- subscribe to the Tribcast on iTunes if you haven't already and to read the Texas Tribune and become a member of the Texas Tribune and go to their festival. It's a great show, and as they showed here tonight. The second thing, this is going to be unbelievably shameless pandering. I'm about to give you my email address. It's david.plots at slate.com. david.plots at slate.com. Seriously, if you want to sign up for Slate Plus, and I know you do, email me, and I will set you up with our best discount. So I'm not joking. Explain that you're trying to win a competition. No, I'm not, I'm not trying to win a competition uh-huh. in this case. I'm, I'm just trying to make it easy. That is not, no, in all seriousness, at this moment, I'm not trying to win a competition, although there is a competition. I just want you to email me. You can email, yes. All of eight, not John. John, John will just lose it. Is it. But email me or Emily, and we'll make it happen. Emily is Emily dot Bazelon at Slate.com. I am. I am. Um, thank you all so much for coming out tonight. We'll be back to Austin soon. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice, all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it, and we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets.